Rising columns of black smoke shot through with dark red flames. When in doubt, do something, his football coach at the Naval Academy had been fond of saying. He turned and ran aft to the deck hatch that led down to the crew's mess compartment, where the import duty section was eating breakfast. Sound general quarters, he yelled down the hatch. Machine gunners to the bridge with weapons and ammunition. On the double, damn it! He heard the sudden stillness down below and then the clamor of voices and the rush of feet. He turned and started up the deck, almost colliding with Savage. "'Got to raise the flag,' the quartermaster said, his face set and stubborn. O'Connor nodded his approval and ran to the after end of the conning tower. He leaped upward and grabbed the top rail around the cigarette deck and hauled himself upward. He squeezed between the rail and the periscope shears and reached the bridge hatch as John Leahy, gunner's mate first class, was struggling up through the hatch with a fifty caliber machine gun in his arms. O'Connor grabbed the barrel of the gun in one big hand and ran aft to the cigarette deck and fitted the gun's spud into a socket on top of a deck rail stanchion. Leahy and a seaman carrying a box of ammunition followed O'Connor. Load and lock, O'Connor ordered. He looked across the pier at the USS Narwhal. There was no sign of activity on the Narwhal's bridge or decks. A cold shiver went through him. He was the only officer aboard the sea bass. If he had panicked because the Army was holding a realistic drill, he'd be the laughingstock of the submarine force. He chewed at his lower lip, wondering what to do next. From the deck below the bridge, Pete Savage raised his voice. Peleus is making a flag hoist, Mr. O'Connor. Signal reads, repel enemy attack. This isn't a drill. You want me to go below and get a signal gun and receive for the message, sir? Negative, O'Connor answered. My fucking oath, Leahy grunted. He punched Lieutenant Connor on the shoulder in his excitement and pointed to the south. A long line of at least a dozen Japanese Nakajimas, Kate torpedo bombers, was turning over Mary Point, heading directly at the submarine piers. The sun, now clear of the morning clouds, flashed off the long torpedoes slung beneath the aircraft. The planes began to descend as they neared the submarines, slowing as they eased down to their torpedo drop height of forty to fifty feet. They lumbered toward the moored submarines, turning, their noses swinging toward the harbor. O'Connor saw the leather-helmeted head of the pilot in the lead plane turn toward the submarines as the pilot looked down at him. A machine gun on the Peleus began to hammer defiantly. The sight that greeted the pilot of the lead Kate was exactly what he had expected. He had been to innumerable briefings. He had waited around in the three-acre model of Pearl Harbor that had been built in Japan with its ship models of the American battle fleet placed where intelligence reports said they would be moored. Eight battleships of the U.S. Navy were moored singly or in pairs along the southeast shore of Ford Island. Every one of the seventy combat and twenty-four auxiliary ships that were in harbor seemed to be precisely where the charts issued to him before he left his aircraft carrier showed they would be. Those charts had been hastily altered just before his takeoff after a reconnaissance flight over Pearl Harbor early that morning revealed that the three U.S. aircraft carriers that should have been moored on the northwest side of Ford Island were not in port. The aircraft carriers had been the primary targets. With the carriers not in port, the battleships would now be the top priority targets. The pilot of the lead Kate completed his turn to his attack course and looked down to his right at four submarines tied up alongside piers. Tempting targets, he thought, but not for him. His objective was Battleship Row, now dead ahead. He passed over the submarines and the land spit and pulled back on his throttle a bit, lowering his airspeed to just above stalling. He checked his altimeter reading. Fifty feet. 
He looked down quickly. Altimeters weren't always accurate this close to the surface of the water. His altitude looked correct to him. He hunched forward in his seat, straining against his safety belts. Ahead of him were the battleships. One single battleship at anchor, and then three groups of two ships each, then a smaller ship, and farther to his left, another battleship. His target was the second group of the double-moored ships. Banzai! he screamed into his microphone, and took dead aim at the USS West Virginia. Commence firing! O'Connor bellowed. Leahy swung the fifty caliber machine gun around on its spud and opened fire. The tracers arced toward one of the cates, missing it well behind. Bleed those bastards! Like ducks! O'Connor roared above the noise of the gun. Leahy crouched behind the machine gun and opened fire again. The tracers arced out ahead of a cate. The machine gun bullets in the plane merged. Leahy held the bucking gun steady and the bullets tore.